<laughs> do you remember uh, the 10 things I hate about you episode when I had to pause because I was so high that I lost like my train of thought? <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I literally was like, after finishing a thought, I paused for like five seconds. I'm like, we need to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can pause as many times as we need to today, buddy. <laughs> we might actually need to pause if we're both fucking stoned. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hello, and welcome to Bromancing the Stone. It's the podcast for myself, Renee Sanchez, and my good buddy, Max Lyon. Up. Watch rom-coms and then record our thoughts and post them on the internet for your listening pleasure. And Max, how are you doing on this fine Sunday afternoon? Good. Fine? Are we calling it fine? Is fine what we're on with? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Muggy is, is shit afternoon. Yeah. How are you doing? Oh, uh, you know, just... Uh, just uh, feeling, feeling elevated, you know. Just, it's a great, it's a great day to be alive. <laughs> just, you know, just. I told myself I'd get through the first five minutes without giggling. <laughs> well, the cold opens probably going to involve our current status and life right now. So, current yeah. status in life. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of statuses, such as, like, marital status, oh, we watched goodness. four weddings at a funeral. I swear to God, your segues are epic. <laughs> um, four weddings at a funeral is this week's episode. Uh, it was the one that I drafted. Uh, this is a movie that I uh, watched for the third time this weekend. I had seen it a couple times before. Um, the first time I watched it, I watched it because I had heard of it, but like when it came out in '94, I was six, and this is a movie my mom didn't take me to. I don't know. I was, if she even saw I was it. gonna say, did she drop the ball in this one? I, yeah, I think it's because it was like uber British, so like she just didn't necessarily go to the theaters to see it. Oh right. So it was one of those things. Um, yeah, I. Uh, so I saw it. I want to say I was here in Chicago, but it was a few years ago. Um, just on a whim, just trying to, you know, see it because I knew uh, I knew its name. And I wanted to know what it was about. And I remember thinking it was okay, and I wasn't sure how I truly felt about it. I was like, I liked this, I didn't like that. I liked this, I didn't like that. <laughs> it's just yeah. very, you know, like <laughs> one in one hand, one in the other sort of thing. Uh, and then the second time I watched it, uh, it was when Hulu came out with a miniseries created by Mindy, K- Mindy Kaling. Oh, right. Um, but they made a miniseries based off of the four weddings and a funeral. They elongated it into like 10 episodes and they took some of it and then created new things off of it um, and made it modern and so on and so forth. Uh, but 
Yeah, that um, you know that miniseries was solid. But while I was watching the miniseries, I was like, I should probably refresh myself on the movie. So what was that? Two thousand ten or something? When was that? That was last year. That was last year. Yeah, the miniseries came out last year, last summer. I remember working at the job I'm working at currently. So yeah. my high ass brain during quarantine just feels like an entire decade has passed. <laughs> since last year oh yeah jesus okay yeah i mean it, uh, it pretty much has quarantine time just crawls i mean the the leap between 2019 and 2020 is quite a large leap <laughs> yeah uh, it's it's really <laughs> feels like a long time ago <laughs> And then the third time I watched the movie was today, uh, before we did this. Um, but uh, the second time I watched the movie, because I was watching the miniseries, um, the second time I was watching the movie, I I felt better about the movie. I liked it a little more. Um, and how long and had it been since you'd seen it before that? It had been about, I'd say about two years. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it a little bit more because I, I knew what was coming a little bit, so I could... Focus a little more on performances and little things. Um, but yeah. And then I watched it today and I have different thoughts. So <laughs> it's it's created different thoughts each time I've watched it. Well, that's uh, good. I, that, we've said yeah. that about a lot of movies that we've watched on here. Yeah. They, Do you have any, they grow or, with time. That's good. Yeah. Do you have any previous memories from this film or before watching it this past weekend? Uh, I don't. This was the first time I'd seen it, uh, but I'd heard. I've always heard like a ton about it. Uh, for some reason, it was always kind of um, it, like a rom com movie title that I knew of. Like it's just a, like a go to rom com. Yeah. Um, I didn't even really know who was in it. I just knew what era it was from and that it was a rom com. And I'd heard a lot about it in terms of, you know, people liking it or people not liking it, but I, I never really kept track of what it even was. Uh, and then uh, when you drafted it two weeks ago, I thought I'd seen it and then realized I was confusing it with death at a funeral. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's a great <laughs> <movie>. <laughs> So I was like, was all right, so I'm in for this kind of movie. I vaguely remember it. So then the movie starts. I'm like, oh, yeah, Death at a Funeral was a lot more recent than this. And I don't remember yes. Hugh Grant in it. Yes. And, uh, yeah. So my expectations were slightly askew. <laughs> <laughs> Which was yeah. probably for the best. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I've got some thoughts about this, too. Yeah. Well, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral is a 1994 British romantic comedy directed by Mike Newell. It was the first of several films written by screenwriter Richard Curtis to feature Hugh Grant. And it follows the adventures of Charles and his circle of friends through a number of social occasions as they each encounter romance. Andy McDowell stars as Charles' love interest, Carrie. And then there's also... Kristen Scott Thomas, James Fleet, Simon Callow, John Hanna, Charlotte Coleman, David Bauer, 
Cord Redgrave and Rowan Atkinson. Okay. This uh, film was released uh, in. Well, there's multiple dates that it was released. It was initially released at the Sundance Festival. That's where it premiered on January 20th of 94. Okay. And then it released in the UK on May 13th, 1994. And then as far as the US, I think I saw somewhere in March. So like it actually released in the US before the UK. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The premiere dates, they're kind of odd on this one. But it was 94. 94 for sure. <laughs> it was out. Um, how long is the film? Um, it seemed a bit lengthy. So I'm going to go with like, I'm going to go with two hours. Close. 117 minutes. One oh, hour so just under two hours. Yeah, it is a long one. Um. The budget for the film is 2.8 million pounds. The fuck is that? That's the UK currency. I know what it is, but what the fuck is that? (laughs) What do you mean? Why are we talking pounds with this shit? I don't care if it was a British movie. It was made in the UK. That's why the fuck it's in pounds. That's So it probably would, what, I don't know, let's say 3 million in... American dollars. How much to the box office? Wait, 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 wait. Did you just do that shit in your head? I said, well, what? I don't know if it's accurate. Oh, okay. I was like, did you really just like do currency exchange in your fucking head? (laughs) Are you serious? I don't know what the fucking currency exchange rate in 93 was between the English pound and the American (laughs) dollar. It's 94, man. In my fucking head. Well, they probably filmed it in 93. Yeah, but that's not when they made the profit. No, that's when the budget was spent, though. So what you're saying is we got to do a 93 exchange rate for pounds to dollars for night for. Yes, that's why I said that in the joke initially. Okay. Anyway, but then for the profit, the revenue, we got to do a 94 exchange rate. Yeah. How much did it make in the box office in American dollars? I don't. Do you know? This is our thing where I have you guess what the I, box office. I know, is. but like you just said, pounds. Suddenly, you know how much it made in dollars. I'm going off of what Wikipedia has. Wikipedia literally has the budget oh, count okay. and the box okay. office in dollars. Okay, I'm, I apologize. Jesus. <laughs> so I'm gonna say hundred. No wait. I don't know. Wait. No. 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 Uh, sixty-five million worldwide. It made two hundred and forty-five point seven million dollars. Holy hell! <laughs> it was made for little, and it made a lot. <laughs> so... Wow! And it didn't get a sequel out of that. Do you see Hollywood? It is possible. <laughs> The movie received Academy Award nominations for Best Picture and Best Original Screenplay. Uh, Hugh Grant won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Com- Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and the BAFTA Award, which is the British Film and T- Television Awards, um, for Best Actor in a Leading Role. And the film won the BAFTA Best Film, Best Direction, and Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Kristen Scott Thomas. 
Who's that? That was Fiona. She got Best Supporting Actress? We'll talk about that. <laughs> I, I'm just as surprised as you, though. Well, <laughs> okay, yeah. We need... Let's let's delve into that here in a bit. Like, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in 1999, four weddings in a funeral placed 23rd on the British Film Institute's 100 Greatest British Films of the 20th Century. Okay. So, 23rd best film in British history from the 20th century. Well. That's what they say about this. Um, I mean, it's British films. Do they have a lot to work with, you know? (laughs) All right. And then uh, Rotten Tomatoes has given this film a score. And it is out of... Come on... It is out of 67 reviews. Okay. So. What score does it have in Rotten Tomatoes? Well, because Rotten Tomatoes is often the opposite of me. I'm going to say 85%. Well, you went the right way, but it's even higher. Jeez. 96%. Wow. Okay, I have some words. <laughs> uh, as far as reviews, you know, this one's from Gene Siskel, who gave it 3.5 out of 4 stars. He wrote uh, an RIP Gene Siskel, first off, Chicago, you know what it is. Um, but yeah, his review says, uh, although the film is basically a light romantic comedy, it could be more psychologically astute in its portrait of a man who defines himself by his bachelorhood, which empowers him to get past this fear of commitment. Hmm. Okay. And, like, interesting look, you know. Um, yeah, that's definitely an interesting yeah. take on it. Yeah. And then uh, another review by Stephen Ray of the Philadelphia Inquirer. He wrote, Four Weddings at a Funeral is one of those rare films that have you smiling from the get-go and keep you that way, with a few well-earned poignant interludes, including, of all things, a reading of W.H. Auden right to the end. And that reading is the funeral reading that he mentioned. Mm. Um, The one bad review I see here uh, it's from Michael Srago, Srago, Srago from the New Yorker. He wrote, "The setup is too arch to support the movie's detour into poignance, though John Hanna does give a moving reading of W. H. Auden's funeral blues." Hmm. Arch is the word he used as the adjective there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, New Yorker, New Yorker journalist. You've helped For... us out. The word arch. I don't know what the fuck he means there. Anyway. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, great word, but what the fuck do you actually mean by that? Are you just throwing I mean, I around think, words? Honestly, he, he should have been struggling with it. I think the fucking the beginning is too weak, because that's what, that's what arch is. It's too weak. It can't hold up. Yeah. Because he said arch to support. So it's, you know. Yeah, but he's got to talk in fucking metaphors and imagery instead yeah. of just saying what he fucking means. Well, yeah. It's the New Yorker. It's the New Yorker. He probably did it with a monocle on. 
smoke out of my corncob pipe while I wear his vodka and read the New York. Yes. Mmm, bully. Bully. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's get in the movie. Uh, this, uh, there's another uh, fun fact, though, actually, before we get in the movie. Uh, so, on the soundtrack, you heard a lot of Elton John, uh, but also you heard the song Love Is All Around. <laughs> which i fucking laughed at from love actually yeah. so here's the thing uh, uh basically the wedding band plays it and then they had a group called wet 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 um, yep uh <laughs> in britain remade the song and the song was number one throughout the summer of 94 like for 12 weeks straight it was number one in britain their remake of love is all around which i yeah, I mean, honestly, it's just a, it's it's unremarkable. You don't need to seek okay. it out. Um, but <laughs> uh, uh, what 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 actually, um, and, and basically everyone, our radio stopped playing it, even though it was number one, because people were getting sick of the song. <laughs> like that's how much it was getting overplayed at that time. Um, so because of this film and, and everything else. Richard Curtis will sometimes use this song as like a sly end joke in like in his movies. And so the biggest one, of course, being in Love Actually, when he turns it into a Christmas song with Christmas is all around. <laughs> so that's a little fun fact for you about that oh, song. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas is all around <laughs> <laughs> Solid gold shit, maestro. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's get into the movie. First thing, what did you think of Hugh Grant? Hugh this Grant. Is, so first, this is the role that basically made him. Uh, he was a huge star after this film. Um, Hugh Grant, I thought, was one of the brighter spots. For me, mm-hmm. I I don't mind Hugh Grant. Uh, there are, but I definitely can acknowledge that there are certain times and certain movies that he's his sheepishness and like his portrayal of kind of a shyer guy can get super fucking annoying. Mm-hmm. And it's he's usually kind of like a nice balance between lovable and hateable. Like sometimes he's capable of playing you know, a really lovable character, but also kind of a dick. Um, mm. But in like a lovable way. And I think he, he kind of did the same thing here where it's like, there's a lot of stuff that you, you really don't like about the character because he's, you start to learn how he's pushing people away, which the, the reviewers commented on. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which you like, cause you get to see the character's growth. But then there was a lot of stuff that you did like about, his personality. And I thought a lot of that was Hugh Grant. I thought he, he did a pretty decent job, uh, acting. And, um, I, I think for me, it was, it was definitely one of the brighter spots of the, the whole movie. What about you? Yeah. I mean, I, as far as Hugh Grant in this film, um, I get why he became like a, a star slash like, um, object of affection for 
those who find men attractive. Like, he was really attractive in this film. With, like, with the glasses, without the glasses. Like, he just... Something about the way he carried himself and the way he looked was just like, oh, okay, I get it. Why everyone wanted to jump with bones at that time. That Okay, this all makes sense. Um, it was just true, like, movie star power. There, there's a reason Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant. And I don't think it's just because he was, like, the first to be that kind of sheepish British gentleman character thing I, I there's a reason it was him and mm. i feel like he just kind of has that hit and it shows through there's, whenever he's on screen there's something to uh, his charisma yeah there's something yeah uh, there, there's just, there is something i don't i don't know what it is exactly but there's something because i wouldn't um, say he's like like physically that attractive or anything like he's not bad looking but you know compared to a lot of modern movie star male leads even from that era you know i wouldn't personally say he's the you know top tier of attractive stars like like just physicality right but i mean would you at this time yeah like really as far as in like the early to mid 90s yes like yeah there's a definite you know quality that to his like he's very handsome in this film so i think he's i think he's just very handsome in general oh, um, i don't know what as I'm he's got as he I've got older he was attractive as he got older i don't think it it you know stuck with him but like in his this is his prime like this is with the floppy hair and everything like that's yeah. that was a a look and a archetype for you know for women in 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 the future, the <laughs> hmm. floppy-haired Brit guy. <laughs> but well, better start working on your accent. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I mean, we're not in the mid '90s anymore, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, you never know. Girls could still be into English accents, British accents, whatever. <laughs> I'm not trying to find a late '40s, you know, model. <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, as far beyond that, his his performance was really good as far as just like portraying, like having to show love because a lot of this, you know, relationship between him and Carrie is spent with like very short sentences that are like interrupted and like little off lines at these weddings that they just you know they say a line or two and they get whisked away and and so it's kind of you have to kind of show the connection between them because that's like that's the movie <laughs> like is their is their romance relationship and i thought he did a good job of like showing like oh he was struck by her and the thunderbolt and the yada yada blah blah that ephemeral mm-hmm. shit mm-hmm. that ephemeral shit um so, I mean, that was then well. One thing I did watch as well is there's an interview with him and GQ. GQ does this thing where they'll interview actors and then they'll go through a timeline of their performances, like from the first to like the last. And then they'll talk about like how they got cast. And, like they'll give inside scoops on like their performances in these films. Hmm. So Hugh Grant did one 
and he talked about four weddings and a funeral. And that was kind of his first like huge big film. Um, and in that film, Richard Curtis, he um, he didn't want Hugh Grant playing Charles because Richard Curtis wrote Charles in Richard's own you know mind. So Richard mm, he modeled it after himself. Being, yeah, and he believed himself to be a dorky writer, and he thought Hugh Grant was too good-looking and posh to be what the character Richard Curtis had written of himself. He wanted someone a little more dorky-looking, things like that. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, and the thing, and so Richard Curtis also, because he was writing it in his own like kind of self-deprecating voice, put a lot of syntax in these films or in these lines, like. If I, as ever, would ask you, like, you know, there's a lot of commas and shit. Oh, you know, uh, okay. And so, so Hugh Grant was like, so I had to try to do that. And then when I got on set, the director, Mike Newell, said, you know, this is a guy who kind of is, like, stammering along. There's not a lot of confidence in when it comes to vulnerability there. So when you, you know, if you stammer or if you... Like, forget the lines or kind of mess up the lines. It's going to be okay. Just go right ahead. <laughs> and Hugh Grant said, and, you know, by the end of the film and how huge of a success it was, I realized that probably wasn't a, a good way to start off my career because that was a, a habit that became hard to break. <laughs> and it's funny to think, like, so this character was written huh. for a Hugh Grant performance. Like this is like the art, this is like the Hugh Grant performance. Right. And it was written to be that performance. It wasn't necessarily Hugh Grant bringing his like acting experience to the role and implementing this type of performance on it. It's more of, it was written that way and they kind of trained Hugh Grant to be that. And he ended up being talented at that. And then in the future, that he became his character. Yeah, and he, that became the Hugh Grant performance. Jesus. So Richard Curtis essentially created Hugh Grant. Yeah. Well, and then Hugh Grant kind of made Richard Curtis as far as like right, like a writer and director of film. Right. He in turn made him well known. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But Richard Curtis essentially made the Hugh Grant that we see in, like, all the other movies. Yeah. Holy fuck, that's weird. And then, of course, they worked together on other films, including Love Actually. Yep, yep. Which he played a very similar prime minister. Like, he was the same kind of character. It's It's synonymous with Hugh Grant. Like, that's how I always picture him. Yeah. Well... (laughs) <laughs> that that's what's funny about the GQ interview is that um, you know Hugh Grant was given the the script and they said they wanted him to play the prime minister, and so he was like, "Well, I mean, I don't want to just like do the same thing with you, Richard, that I've done with like other films." And Richard's like, "No, no, you'll be a prime minister, so you'll be more like a a politician, like a little more strict and you know political and everything." And then he said, and then when I got there, the performance became, you know, just the same stammering. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where, like, 
I feel like a lot of people were just like, hey, yeah, you won't hear Hugh Grant was like, I don't really want to do the same lovesick, like stammering thing. Because um, in real life, he was very much not that way. <laughs> he was, uh, you know, smoking, drinking, buying prostitutes <laughs> type of guy. Uh, so, and, and like, it's so a lot of like performances in, in this GQ interview, he kind of mentions is like a lot of these are just like, no, no, you won't do the same thing that you did previously. And then when he gets there, they basically ask him to do the same thing he did previously. <laughs> Jeez. Um, you know, so that's kind of where he got stuck in the 90s. But hey. He found a lot of success, and he doesn't have to worry about where his next paycheck's coming from unless he's already blooded on cocaine and hookers, which there's a chance he might. I mean, it's possible. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his love interest in the film is played by Andy McDowell, who plays and what, Karen. And what did you think of her? I've always thought Andy McDowell was overrated. <laughs> Agreed. In, in every way. Everyone just got because she was a model. I never got that. Um, she was a model? She was a model first before becoming an actress. I did not know that. Yeah, and then people thought, you know, oh, you know, she she's not that bad of an actress. And it's like, she's she wasn't even that good of a model, let alone an actress. Like, what are we doing here, guys? She's not that good, or she's not that bad of an actress? Did they watch this movie? <laughs> they watch this movie i mean jesus yeah uh, and then and so with just I, I remember the first time i watched the film i hated carrie as a character i did not i despised her i was just like let's how fast, is this are you implying mother? that you did like her at some point in the second film, I was okay with her. I felt I like I fell a little more for the love between the two characters, and how these were just two two souls who had trouble being vulnerable with someone else. Like obviously, they dealt with it in different ways. She dealt with it by being very promiscuous, which that's something that women have done. That's a choice women make, and that's. That's something that's, you know, that's a common thing. Right. Um, and Will, or not Will, I, I don't know where Will came from. Was that Notting Hill? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that Charles, Charles shows to be very guarded with the women that he attracted through his, you know, looks and charm by, you know, keeping him at, you know, an arm's length away and, Right, and just right. being charming on the surface, but never really truly committing. And it's just so these are two insecure people who, you know, kind of stumbled upon each other mm. and had to learn how to, you know, be secure in their lack of knowledge of relationships. I mean, mm. at the end, when they choose to be together, they choose to not get married. They just know the one thing that they know is that they want to be together. There's something between Which, them. I, I definitely liked that. I appreciated that. I thought that was, I, I thought that was a nice little touch. And now that you've put it in a better context of, you know, that they're both these, these flawed, you know, yeah. distanced people. Now, now that was my, that's my conclusion at the end of the second viewing of this film. That's also so, a character 
assessment, not an acting assessment. Yeah, yeah, and so that's four hours of film watching for this damn film that it took to even get to that point. <laughs> After watching it this time, it's a mix of both, where it's just like, look, Andy McDowell, I, I just will not ever be entertained by Andy McDowell. Like, Groundhog Day is another film that people think is great, and it's kind of a rom-com, but not really. Um, but Groundhog Day will always be meh because Andy McDowell is a love interest. Yep. Like, every time I watch a film where Andy McDowell is a love interest, that film immediately goes down two points to me. Yep. I just can't. I, like, there's just everything about, like, everything about her just seems, like, quiet and she's She's boring. She's boring yeah. as fuck. Yeah. It her, I can tell you from someone who's seen it once, the first impression is she almost killed the whole fucking movie. Yeah. For me. Her acting was atrocious. And not because she's a bad actress. She just didn't show up. She, like, she literally could have been replaced by anyone in Hollywood. And it would have been better. I, I boy or girl at this point like she was so boring and lifeless to watch it was it was awful I, honestly i think it's because of the her her delivery of lines her yeah. inflection and delivery never changed on any of the lines in the film no absolutely not you're completely right well, not to mention she i think she spent a majority of the time not actually looking hugh grant in the face in the eyes did you notice that? Yes. She was like constantly like darting his gaze and everything. Like Yes. And it's like, okay, so you can look at it in one of two ways. One, off putting, which is the obvious and easy way to go. The other way is that she makes a joke in the taxi at the end of the second wedding that they hang out at. Um after he sees that she has a fiance, but they still end up sleeping together anyway. Um, yeah, that, which I thought was a really fun scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but the, basis for any good relationship, I'd say. Yeah. But she makes the joke of you know you're not that hard to resist, but then they immediately they immediately slept together. Right. So obviously he is that tough to resist. So that's kind of the you know the counter joke that they're saying in the situation. So she's avoiding looking him in the eyes, and then she looks him in the eyes, and she's just going to find herself falling for him and submitting to him again, or finding a way to find a hotel room to just go at it with him. So she avoids his gaze at all costs to avoid the feelings that she's feeling. Right. But that's like so much to infer. It, uh, it's yeah. yeah. It's it's just. You're not going to infer that from this kind of a performance. Like, she doesn't give yeah, you much yeah. to work with to infer from. Like, you need a yeah, backstory to, like, to make your inferences. You have to give her acting more credit than it deserves. That's the issue. Yeah. 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 And she's she's very... I, I agree with the overrated comments. I, she's very overrated. I mean, she's she's pretty, but she's not memorable yeah i mean or anything and the two of them like together on screen are pretty to look at but the it's not like the chemistry like blue like just 
I mean, yeah. the flame wasn't there. You know no, I mean? it's not. It was Hugh Grant was carrying the team, and <laughs> yeah, and Andy McDowell is just kind of like. Like, I'm rubber, you're glue. Like, everything he was saying, <laughs> like, she's just, like, rebounding back to him. And just like, all right, let's, let's keep this going. Let's keep this going. And There's no, like, emphasis behind it or emotion or anything. It's like, girl, would you fucking, like, express something? <laughs> like, I almost, by the end, wanted to see her or see him piss her off just so that I could see her get angry and show something. And then there's there's an idea that they at least have each other's phone numbers, or at least they have each other's goddamn addresses that they could send these wedding invitations to each other. Yeah. Uh, you know? So it, she chooses to show up to his wedding to let him know that she's broken up with Hamish. Yes. Now, I get you need time after a breakup to process things yada yada blah blah but if you're sure that you feel something you have to find a better time than showing up at his damn wedding and if you do not even like a phone call how about a phone call saying hey uh i don't know i i'm just uh i just broke up with hamish and i i just wanted to talk to someone and i thought of you like maybe something like that three months before he gets married can we meet for coffee sometime? There's a lot on my mind that I'd like to discuss with you recently. Like, yeah, you know, human adult things. Yeah, um, maybe that's not how they do things over in the UK. But then she's supposed to be well, American, she, so never mind. Yeah, that's yeah. So that's just typical American flighty behavior. <laughs> yeah, she started ghosting. So in that in that way, she performed great. Yeah. <laughs> fucking. In a fucking America. Uh, fucking America. So yeah, that's not great that the main female actress in the film also yeah. happened to be tough to watch. Yeah, she was extremely tough to watch. I, I looked up a, a few things while you were going through the, the stats just to see if I could find any like really good tasty tidbits. Yeah. And one of the things I came across was... Uh, so many people found her super annoying. Yeah. Like almost unbearable to watch. And I'm like, Oh good. I'm glad I wasn't alone. Cause <laughs> yep. she really brought down the movie for me. And like her acting brought it down. The whole character brought it down. Like you said, like the way she mishandled literally every situation. Like I, I get now that you've put it into context, I get that both characters like the moral of the story is that they're both mishandling like their entire lives and yet somehow they find each other and live happily ever after. Cool. Two broken fucking ass people merged together and God only knows what the fuck they're going to create from that catastrophe of a relationship. But, um, you know, let's make a fucking movie about it and celebrate it, I guess. So I don't know. It just it, it bothered the hell out of me the way she mishandled everything and like, and like you said, like you couldn't even call him, write him a letter. They just randomly get wedding invites from each other, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then show up. Like I don't know about you, but if if I got a wedding invitation from an ex, I sure as shit wouldn't show up out of, you know. I wouldn't show up. It's weird. <laughs> it's like, 
you know, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you've you gotten to that point. You found someone that is making you that happy. I don't need to be there. I think that's weird. Yeah. So obviously if you're going there, you're going there with a purpose. And then she just like, she shows up at his wedding and doesn't like just, she doesn't even follow through with telling him anything. Yeah. Other than she broke up and she's just like sitting there kind of hoping he'll make the next move. Yeah. I'm like, then, okay, so way to torture she, the shit out of the guy. He's already getting married and you drop this bomb in his lap and then expect yeah. him to figure out what to do next. Yeah. And then she rings the doorbell and then immediately is like, oh, I shouldn't have come over. I like, what are movie. you doing? I what are you doing? Movie. What are you doing? Like, she just constantly like walking up. She's like doing the 90 10, but like <laughs> she's going 90% of out of her way. But when it comes time to actually the most important 10%, which is the commitment aspect, she's just like, I, I'm going to wait for you to commit. And you then, I mean? yeah, she does the like passive aggressive, like pushing him away. She's she's pushing people away just like he is, but she's doing it in a like much more deliberate but passive aggressive way. It's like she's it's like there's an open heart surgery and she's done everything as far as like the preparation, even getting like the patient there, cleaning all the tools and everything, and then right when it comes to making the incision and actually performing the surgery, she hands the scalpel over to you. And then as you start to cut, she takes it back and then goes, well, actually, I need you to do it. Wait, no, don't, don't cut his, don't cut up with his chest. Like, I'm a bitch. I already got a one inch incision here. <laughs> Let's sew that back up. Maybe we should sew that back up. We shouldn't do this. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't, you know, maybe we should let him go. Why are we playing God here? <laughs> my, my mom always had a saying growing up where she would, she would describe I don't remember what she used to describe if there was a specific uh, type of girl or type of relationship or type of anything, but she, she always said that so many people played the game of like reeling someone in and then pushing them away once they had them. Mm -hmm. And she usually used it to describe like, you know, flighty teenage type girls. Mm hmm. She would always say, come here, come here, come here, get away, get away, get away, come here, come here, come here, get away, get away, get away. <laughs> she, that's yeah. I grew up with that throughout my whole like teenhood of her saying that over and over and over. And I was chuckling at you when you were talking about or her behavior, uh, uh, Annie McDowell's character's behavior. Yeah. And because that's exactly what I flashed on. It's, it's what she's doing. She's just doing it in a, such a subtle, much subtler way. But she's, you know, come here. No, 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 I don't want you. I don't want you. We shouldn't be doing this. No, actually, I do kind of want you. Oh, by the way, I'm getting married. You know, it's like, it's, what kind of bullshit is this? I would get so it, tired of that. It's the siren song of the insecure. He fucking said it. Yeah. Um, let's move on to someone who really couldn't make a move. Uh, and that would be Fiona, played by Kristen Scott Thomas. Yeah, so you said she was. She won a BAFTA supporting... award for best supporting actress. Uh, they gave her one scene. Okay, yeah. First like, of they, all, they did she even have scenes? Scene. She had one scene when she actually 
when she actually finally told Charles her feelings for him. Which is also the same night that one of her dear friends, Gareth, dies. So that's not a great night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, I'm sad. By the way, I want to fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, Grief. no, it's before, it's before he dies. Grief is nature's most powerful aphrodisiac. <laughs> oh my god, that's her wedding crasher. Look at that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so Kristen Scott Thomas is a talented actress. She ended up getting two years from here. She gets a nomination for best or for Academy Award for best actress for The English Patient, um, and okay. she's won five BAFTA awards. So you know she's a well-known, you know actress especially in britain um and this was kind of the performance that everyone remembered and i think everyone remembered it it, and i think everyone remembered it because the actual love interest sucks so bad oh probably yeah i was kind of rooting for him to end up with her at the end right so everyone's kind of rooting for fiona and charles to get together like for charles to kind of figure out like oh fiona's pretty fucking great probably should just go ahead and lock that up and then he goes and marries she's actually prettier than annie mcdowell she actually knows how to emote and you know tell and like actually pronounce a line with any sort of change in voice um she's just played better than carrie in this film she also, she also would have been a good fit for Hugh Grant's character too. Like, a, like they're that, both that's, kind of that's, exactly like that's why like her being in love with him made fucking sense. Like, yeah. it, like you know, it just it made a lot more sense. But they just had her just standing off to the side, not giving her any lines, and just being a part of the background, like hopelessly pining for you know, Hugh Grant's character. And it's like, she deserves more. She deserves more screen time. She deserves a better plot line than just being, you know, just pining for Charles and not knowing how to get over it. And I think that could have been a much more interesting storyline too. Oh, hundred percent. Like have him pine over this one American girl for a majority of the movie only to realize that everything he's ever wanted or needed is right there in front of his face. And like, that sends a well, good that, message. Like, change yeah, perspective. That, that becomes the rom-com norm in the future. Um, yeah. Like in later movies, that's, that becomes a common ending. But at this time, that wasn't necessarily the common ending. Yeah. Uh, and like, quite frankly, I feel like Richard Curtis he he kind of has the same like the the insecure writer syndrome the same thing like f scott fitzgerald had where it's like when you write someone in who you know when you write someone in your own image you don't want them to end up with the girl they're supposed to end up with right you want them to end up with the girl that you desire right well god and why do you desire this fucking annie mcdowell then it's the girl you can't have. The girl who's un- emotionally unavailable. The girl who's supposedly prettier. Like the, it's, yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. I know. 
the horribly problematic Woody Allen did have a good line once. He said, any club that would let me be a member is a club I don't want to be part of. Huh. I could picture him saying that. Yeah. But then he also, you know, another great line by Woody Allen is statutory. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> He's horrible. Um, all right. So we also move on. We'll put them together because, you know, they were together. Uh, Matthew and Gareth, the two friends as well in the group. Um, they were who, they were a gay couple, right? That's the inference. That's the that's the thing that you're supposed to infer from the film is that they, you know, at the very beginning they're you know living together. And breakfast has been made, and so yeah, that they're you know life partners. Um, okay. What and everything that that includes and involves. Because I cringed at his funeral. Yeah. When the priest or whoever the funeral director got up and was like, but first we're going to hear some words from his good friend, Matthew. Yeah. It's like, I don't think that's his good friend, you dumbass, but I know it was nice. And I think that they, so. and I think, I mean, that's just a common thing at that time. Of, yeah. At that time is just having a life partner, but being very closeted because that, and especially in Britain where everything's prim and proper, as far as when it comes to society and social Yeah, occasions. that's true. You know, it wasn't necessarily something that you could just be out and out with. Um, God, could you imagine having to like, not necessarily sneak around, but keep your relationship, like, just keep it basically, like, keep all the romanticism of it completely secret in the public image. Yeah. You basically just have to appear as good friends when you're out. That, yeah. That makes no fucking sense. It's so dumb that people had to do that. Yeah. It's tough, but as far as Gareth, he was definitely the comic relief of the film. His he was amazing. La- his laughter at Tom's best man. Oh my god, it was the funniest shit. I was laughing with him. Yeah, every time he laughed. Oh, absolutely. And then also you have these hand rolled cigarettes that look like bloods, which is awesome. <laughs> Every time I was like, I know that's a cigarette. I know that's tobacco because it's, you know, he's smoking it freely and he has a whole package of them, like a little cigarette case and all that bullshit. But part of me was like, God, I just hope he's just chain smoking bloods. Just like <laughs> <laughs> with his fucking white hair and kilt wearing fucking <laughs> lifestyle. Just like, yeah, I'm, High as fuck at a wedding and drinking. And it's da- the and that's, dudes. and that's why he's dancing the way he's dancing because he's high as shit. Chain smoking these bloods. It's the bloody brigadoons in here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, but that would have been hilarious. He was, he was fantastic. And losing him in the film, the first time I watched it was, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily a surprise, but it was also tough. Yeah. And like, that that was another thing. Like Kristen Scott Thomas performed that scene well, where she sees him and then she turns away, like "Oh my god" sort of thing. When he's down on the ground, like at the castle, just like it's a little tiny bit. I don't remember performance. that. Yeah, I, well, I remember Hugh Grant's face when he looks at him and then turns away and kind of cringes, like "Oh god, what's he doing over there?" 
Yeah. And like keeps watching the ceremony and then And then yeah, and then he falls down with yeah. the huge bed forward and then falls back. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then he and then of course sobered up uh, from all the weed. It, well, yeah. And then the, that leads to Matthew's performance as well. I thought uh, Matthew was performed really well. I liked him as a character. Uh, you know, especially with his bit as the best man. Which, why is he the best man over the brother, though? That's what I wanted to know. I mean... Especially since he seemed close with his brother. Like, I get if you don't make your yeah. brother your best man, but... Yeah. I agree. I mean, it better not because he's, you know, deaf. That's just... That's not okay. But he wasn't <laughs> even... Was he even in the wedding party? Because he was sitting down. No, well, I mean, these weddings were odd because they just had the best man. And that was it. Oh, like, there wasn't even, yeah. like, like, they were matrons, but they were off to the side. Like, standing out there was just the best man. With, yeah. You know, very patriarchal, old school. Oh, wedding shit um yeah i was yeah, noticing I, that in the second wedding with the like the they're not with tom and bernard yeah they with yeah. the they're not priests they were like cardinals or whatever that were coming out oh with yeah huge hats on and everything yeah i'm like yeah just marveling and, at some of the things in that the, ceremony the less we say about that scene the better it's just another richard curtis richard curtis and rowan atkinson scene it's just like not yeah, I'm over them. Stop trying to make Rowan Atkinson a thing. Yeah. I understand not. it was very popular in England. I understand the English thought that, that was a hilarious scene. But stop trying to make him a thing in my viewing experiences. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> stop putting him in my life. Yeah, I would rather not have him in my life. Um, but then, of course, Matthew... Uh, has that reading uh, of Federal Blue by W.H. Auden. Oh, that's well done. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it was nice to see one British scene. person with emotions in this movie. <laughs> well, I think Fiona showed emotion when she was telling Charles that she's in love with him. She did uh, a little bit, yeah. A little bit. Not All the much. emotions throughout the whole movie are very muted. Yeah, which you could kind of say is part of the issue as to why these single people are continually single. Right. Well, yeah, and I've, I've like, also heard that, you know, that's kind of a, a norm for, like, I, th I think British versus American emotions yeah. are a little bit different. I know the comedy is, of course, different, but I've heard that with, with, with British people that they aren't necessarily as open as a lot of Americans are. And that's, that's saying something. Cause there's a lot of closed up cold fucking Americans, but, mm -hmm. but that's, I think that's what kills Annie McDowell's character even more is that she's supposed to be the American among the bunch of cold, proper, you know, reserved people. Mm -hmm. So why isn't she, you know, a contrast to those characters? Why isn't she, yeah. A, a standout why isn't she different she's not she blended right in yeah exactly like when she plays the joke after the first time she has sex with charles about how they're going to be together and 
you know, yeah. everything else. It's just like she, you don't know that she's telling a joke. Like she's she's no. saying it the same way she said every line so far in the yeah. film and every line she says after. Yeah. And it's just like, like why are you giving this dry British delivery when you're supposed to be this country girl from the United States? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's not like she grew up a harsh, you know, city girl and is super- Yeah, she talks about how like by the time she was seventeen she had like seven sexual partners and you know, it was out in the country, so you you know, they have to do a role in the haystacks. Right. Which I get. It's like I mean, so like what are you like you know, like Dakota's country? Like <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> it has to be something like that because she's just not rambunctious at all. But yeah, most girls I know from the farmland in Oregon are not nearly as muted as her. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. Small town people are usually a little, in my experience, a little more rambunctious. Yeah, and a little more open. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just didn't it didn't make any sense. Or that that scene where he finally tells her that he loves her, which I thought. Which we haven't covered, but I, I thought it was yeah. I thought it was pretty adorable. I think that was like a. It was. It, it was. It's a scene that's like looked back at fondly because of the the horrible clothing he's wearing, as far as like the the collar shirt that's too big for him, and the short shorts and the glasses. And he runs up to her, and he doesn't know how exactly to say it because he's so, you know. He doesn't know how to be vulnerable, so he uses the partridges. I think I love you, or David Cassidy's. I think I love you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the way is, he's like tripping over his uh, words and yeah. making it which take forever. Honest. Yeah, yeah. And then I, her reaction to it, I think, is actually a fair reaction, where she says, "You know, you're lovely, and you know, thank you for saying it," but she doesn't reciprocated at that time because she's she didn't even say she didn't even say thank you though she just was like that was he he pauses and then she goes that was really romantic but she said it like super flat and monotone like like what where is your inflection seriously like do you feel anything are you a robot because it's like as he's walking away she says that was really romantic. It's yeah. Like, no, like, say it like, no, that was really romantic. You're like, if, it, if you're trying to yeah. say it in a way to get Gardner's attention to bring him back, then there needs to be a little more urgency in your fucking inflection. And then she just walks I'm away. Sure they got, and then that was it. Like, I'm sure they got to, like, take 18. And she was just like, uh, that was really romantic. Bitch, you said it like that last 17 takes. We're going to go to take 19 now. That was really romantic. God damn it. All right. You know what? Just cut it. We'll take it. We'll take it. We'll, In the editing we'll room, they're probably like, all right, wait, wait, wait. Go back to 15. I think that was her most emotional one yet. Yeah. If you well, listen to well, it backwards, it sounds a little emotional. <laughs> so, yeah. I. Uh, God. But, I mean... Yeah, she says you're lovely, gives him a kiss on the cheek, and then walks away. And then does she say that was really romantic? Or is that before? That was after that was after she says that was really romantic when he comes back to her. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. So you so you bring him back, say he's lovely, kiss him on the cheek, and then walk away. Yeah. Which also, did you notice she kissed him on the cheek several times after explaining that kissing on the cheek is like, uh, how did she phrase it? Too, um, dismissive. What, too dismissive. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. You, did you notice that? Did I pick up on something? <laughs> that was something that I did not think about at yeah. all. Yeah. Good catch, yeah. Max. You're hurting. You I must, am. I, I must have like you must from symbiosis through this podcast. You're actually seeing things now. Yeah, dude, you're training me. Yeah, look at you, close reading of a, a text. Hey. Damn right, son. Yeah, that is very dis- like she says that's dismissive um, when they're doing the church kissing and the right. when they when they're about to have sex for the first time and they're they're doing like what about this and what about which I mean in its way I guess could be considered romantic I wasn't a huge fan of it but was not either I get I get how people would think that that was romantic um, but yes like she says that that's the dismissive way and so whenever she kissed him on the cheek a lot to kind of dismiss him. And kind of shoo him away, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Which she did a couple times. She did it in that scene. There's another scene that I took note of. I think it was, I want to say at his wedding. But it might, it, it might have been before that. I don't think they. I don't think they had a kiss on the cheek. But. Maybe it was the funeral. It was towards the the latter. I think. I think it was the funeral. Okay. Yeah. When, that yeah. could be it. But yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, like we we've already talked about her performance and how frustrating she is as a character. Yeah, so. yeah, I think um, that, I think that's clear. Back to back to Matthew, his performance of that or of that poem was fantastic. As far as just letting that be the his declaration of love in public as much as he could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's good. when everyone knew. Okay. So, and the way that Tom and uh, Tom and Charles had their little discussion afterward, which will kind of segue into Tom here as far as the next character to talk about. But um, the just how they talked about how they're traitors amongst the mist. That these two people who were amongst this group of single people who had sworn off commitment and marriage, and here they were in a lifelong commitment. Yeah. Matthew and Gareth. Yeah. So I thought that was very, very interesting and and lovely. Yeah. Uh, you know, that they had that. And then Matthew at the end he had he finds it again, which was lovely to see. Yeah, I did enjoy that. I like that they wrapped yeah. a lot of stuff up at the end. I that was yeah. cute. Including Tom finding the love of his life as the daughter of a second cousin. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. I totally forgot. That was so fucking yeah. funny. I laughed so hard at that. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, with Tom and how odd he is, <laughs> you know, like he just doesn't know how to be. <laughs> like, but the way he talks to Charles and just like his idea of love and finding someone, it's like uh, that makes sense for him. <laughs> like, I get that. <laughs> Uh, you know, because and so I, I just I thought that that character was performed well, and 
it was, he was more of a comic relief thing. I mean, he got his right, moments. Right. But yeah, I thought, I thought that, that was nice. I, I thought he was nice uh, in the film. Uh, do you have any ex- extenuating thoughts of Tom? No, no. I think, I think we've we've given enough attention to yeah to him and him. the other character. Then, I think it's really. Is there anybody else? Uh, there's Scarlet, uh, who's mm. Charles's roommate. I thought right. that they were siblings the first two times I watched this. Then I realized, I oh, she's just too. a roommate. Yeah. She's just a roommate. Um, oh. I, but, yeah, I, she's, she's you know, another comic relief type character. Uh, she reminds me of in Notting Hill, uh, Will's sister. In that film, mm. Hugh Grant had a sister. Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, but this one, they were just roommates, but. Yeah, what the sad thing is both the sister in Notting Hill and this actress who uh, played Scarlet have both passed away. Oh, yeah, uh, but which, but yeah, I I liked the performance; it was fun. Uh, but I feel like the females were just not written well by Richard Curtis. They really so. weren't. They really I, I feel weren't. like he, he had to grow into that, and yeah, there there are some issues as far as like there just wasn't a lot given to them. Um, like or at least the person who had something to do couldn't do it because she's not a good actress. I mean, that's yeah, I was gonna say I wish we could use that as an excuse for Andy McDowell, but um... if you switched Andy McDowell with another actress and then switched that actress with Kristen Scott Thomas and had them play different and have Kristen Scott Thomas play Carrie, I feel like that could have been nice. Uh, I don't know if it had to be American. Like, you, yeah, that part seemed kind of unnecessary. Yeah, <clears throat> I feel like because Scott Thomas going to play that role. Well, we've covered the characters quite a bit. You want to well, jump the into last, the last character we haven't talked about was the brother as well, uh, David. Oh yeah, okay. There were a lot of characters. And, yeah, and also. You know, what was your favorite side love story that happened outside of the group? Ooh. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I kind of liked... Because, like, Bernard and Lydia, like, at the first wedding, when Lydia's just sad because she was promised sex as a bridesmaid... Yeah. <laughs> And then Bernard tries to <laughs> offer himself up. She's like, "Oh, don't be silly." And he's like, "Oh, you, you know, you're right. Good point. You're right. Good point. Right. Yeah. Good point. You're right." And then, you know, a few drinks later, then they start making out, and then she's just like, "Oh, oh." And then, <laughs> and then three months later, it's their wedding. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the hilarious scene where, while Charles is feeling sorry for himself in a room, he gets caught in there while they start banging. God, that was so fucking awkward. I forgot about that scene already. It's it very long. My gosh. It was gosh. so long. Well, yeah. the whole fucking movie was a little long. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Bernard and Lydia's second, though. I love David, and I don't remember the name of the woman he ends up. Oh, Serena. She spelled out her name. Oh, that's right. I did like, I liked them. I thought that was cute. Yes, I thought 
that was the most like pure love story of the film. Yeah. Just a little, you know, right off. But I loved how she learned sign language because she was so attracted and immediately struck by that guy. And then, yeah, yeah and then three months later, she just happens to see him at a wedding again. Just like, how about it? How about it? Like yeah, she, that's like think cute. about that. She took, she put faith in learning sign language just by the off chance she's going to run in and meet this guy again. And then mm. she happens to meet this guy again. And then she takes her chance and introduces herself. And then they dance. Oh, that's a huge and fucking gamble. Because you don't know anything about him. What if, he, what if he yeah. turns out to be a creep? Yeah. Then you've learned sign language for nothing. Yeah. I know. That's why I like it. That's why it's my favorite love story of the I do film. like it. I do like it. That's yeah. a good choice. But, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the kiss of the film. Well, hold on, hold on. We what, haven't covered what? any of the, like, actual plot itself. We just covered characters. There, There's four weddings and a funeral. And at the end, Carrie and Charles decide to be together without getting married because they think marriage is a racket. Well, but what did you... How did you... It bothered the fuck out of me. Did it not bother you, the whole plot? I mean, if we've talked, I feel like we've introduced, like, the plot aspects with the, like, the thoughts on the characters. I, I mean... To a point, it, yeah, we did. But. Yeah, because, like, it's tough to like anything involving Andy McDowell's character, <laughs> Carrie, because it's Andy McDowell performing Carrie. And that includes the relationship she has with Charles. Charles is pretty cool because he's performed by Hugh Grant, but at the same time, you know, he has his own bugaboos. I mean, the fact that, and so he kind of, he kind of gets his comeuppance a little bit when he's stuck at a table with all of his ex-girlfriends after he learns that Andy McDowell is engaged to some random old dude. Right. Like, so, so like, he kind of gets his comeuppance for being kind of a shit. A little bit in the middle of the film. Which, but then he, I'm then glad. He gets with another night of sleeping with carry so i'm you know i'm glad they they used this as a way to to paint a portrait of someone who is obviously you know has a has you know a disturbed past or something like that that keeps him from being too emotionally close or invested in the relationship i i liked that i liked that they were trying to paint a picture of this guy mm-hmm. but it just didn't fit in a fucking it would have fit in a rom-com if there was much of a rom-com to it. Mm-hmm. I felt like we just watched him float around to four different events, five different events, and randomly keep meeting this one girl who, by the end of it, we fucking hated and don't want to see anymore. So why are we watching this plot? What is this, what is this whole storyline telling us? It basically the idea was that the charles and katie were the real thing regardless of exterior commitments because they kept running into each other well and that they immediately had like a love at first sight thing and then every time they ran into each other the sparks would fly again right and so that was you know so the sparks that were flying and everything else that was the the real thing like they couldn't stop thinking about each other even though they continued on with other aspects of life Charles even goes as far as saying 
there probably isn't the one. There probably isn't the Thunderbolt. And he kind of follows Tom's idea of you just find someone who fancies you and doesn't mind looking at you and you just go ahead and get married. And then he ends up with Henrietta who starts off by crying because you can't afford, she can't stand seeing him. And then happens at another wedding to just be like, oh, I've gotten over you. You're fine. Whatever. Let's have a chat sometime. And now they're getting married after a reconciliation. <laughs> and it's just like the absolute epitome of settling. Yeah. And and then and she's doing it, obviously, for one reason, one reason only, so she can be the fucking queen of the moment on her wedding day. Like the sickening, like bridezilla look on her face and like the way she walked down the aisle and she said not too tight to her dad like oh oh my god yeah it's just like charles dodged a bullet by leaving her at the altar Um, but at the same time he gets punched in the face because he deserves his comeuppance for being kind of a shit yep but But i feel like i feel like andy mcdowell deserves a little punch in the face too because like what the fuck you like you're showing up to the fucking wedding yeah and saying this shit like what the fuck do you think is gonna happen yeah i agree anyway, and so clearly then, our feelings of annie mcdowell's character are clear <laughs> um, but yeah it, it but it also lets charles know that david has to be the one to tell him that he's in love with someone else yeah like there's there's levels to this thing, and he was right in the whole idea of a feeling of that strongly of someone. But, yeah. So more yeah. so, we, we see a personal journey of one character, and then how that personal journey is joined by this female character. That's basically what this movie is about. It's just about this one male character. Yeah, because it's Richard Curtis basically writing about himself. Yeah. So... Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Then, all right. Let's fuck it. Let's just get into the kiss then. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's a, f- a couple, but the the I would say it's the kiss in the rain at the end when they decide they're gonna be together. I would too. Yeah. And they say I do. The only other <laughs> where she shows up at the door and says, yeah. "There's a point where you get so wet you just can't get wet anymore." And I went. Phrasing. Boom. <laughs> Are we not doing phrasing anymore? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, the whole setup to the I do at the end and like the writing is so overly rot and like it, corny. It's tough. It's just, yeah, it's, it, it's just Richard Curtis. You could just, you could see like if he's like handwriting this with like, He's like handwriting with like a flourish. His like hand goes up when he finishes the sentence. Like, Paul, oh, I am writing right now. You know? Just super proud uh, yeah. of himself. And... Yeah, just like, oh, this is a masterpiece. And then he says, I do. And then cue yeah. the lightning bolt. Yes, it's a thunderbolt because they've actually got it this time, guys. Symbolism. Uh, so. I do want and to then, point out a scientific error that there is no such thing as a thunderbolt. Yeah, it's a lightning bolt. It's a lightning thunder bolt. Because thunder is the sound. thunder is the sound. Yeah, so fucking, oh my god. Yeah, anyway. so Good job, Richard Curtis. Yeah, anyway. Um, 
and then the actual kiss itself was kind of like stage kiss where like their mouths came together but and moved a little bit but like there was no like yeah true yeah. kissing to it sort of yeah. thing so uh well neither I, of them have any fucking lips to use so <laughs> anglo-saxon shit uh i'd give this a d honestly just fuck yes i would too <laughs> that's exactly what i was gonna give it i mean i i you know it's it's good use of the rain like which you know at the time was still kind of a newish decision for the final kiss like it's like tr- it follows traditions and technicalities well but just it's so corny well, then, like well, the rain, like you so said, wasn't artificial. bad, but yeah. then they just didn't—they ruined it. They did not take advantage of the setup. There's a lot of potential there, but man, they—they they muffed it. Yeah. Um, and what happens after Ever After? Um, I know they gave like little stills of the of everyone kind of. And, you know, where their lives go and who they end up with and everything else like that. Um, and then Fiona's is like she ends up with Prince Charles. Like, that's the joke. Whatever one. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think what happens after Ever After is that after they've had their kid, Carrie and Charles break up. And Fiona doesn't stay with Prince Charles because Prince Charles... Is a fuckface. And then Fiona and Charles reconnect and finally get together <laughs> in their older age. I would be down for that sequel. So, that's what happens after Ever After. They should have been the ones that ended up together. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I agree. 100% so what's agreed. Your, what's your verdict on the film? Oh, this was a tough one. This was a tough one. I'd fuck it, but I will say right now that it it was tough not to kill it. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it just Annie McDowell's performance ruined so much about the movie that it made it almost unwatchable to me. It's not. It's not even a rom com after her performance. It's boring and lifeless and emotionless. And Hugh Grant honestly is the savior of the whole damn movie. Mm-hmm. I like the uniqueness of the setup. You know, having these four weddings mm-hmm. and a funeral. I thought that was that's cool. That's clever. Um, but there's. It was such. The first half of the movie was slow as fuck. It took so yeah. long to get to anything, to, to build up to any sort of momentum. And then even mm-hmm. when you did have any semblance of momentum, here's Anna McDowell coming into the scene to ruin it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, So it was, it was tough, but it was, it's a unique movie. Um, and, you know, it's popular for the genre god only knows why and uh i think it's at least worth a watch but definitely with caution <laughs> what so about you? i i came into the, to this call or you know this recording 
uh, pretty sure about my verdict. And now I've kind of wavered on it after her discussion. I'm going to stick with it. But I agree that this is a fuck. Initially, I was going to say it was a fuck because, you know, it's a fun movie to watch once and, you know, and then go about your life and everything Mm -hmm. else like that. And then after discussing it with you, I'm just like, God, there's if you don't watch this movie, you're not hurting yourself. Right. Like, like you're not like the quality of the performances are, are not like you need to watch this sort of thing. But I would still say, fuck it. But it's more of just like the almost like as a rom-com historian type thing where it's just right. like, it's, fun. it's fun to watch something that you haven't seen before that, you know, is famous and see some of the things that came from this film. So like, this is like Richard Curtis gets better. I love actually, I think is a better film than this, even though this is higher rated by critics. And this one is in like the BAFTA top 100 films and whatever the fuck. Love Actually is a better film. It's a funnier film. Much better, yeah. And like, and then I think Notting Hill is a way better film than this one. Um, and that's another Richard Curtis film. I know you don't like that one. Um, but I think Notting Hill is way better. And so He, and he made up for it with Love Actually. <laughs> so, like, I feel like if you've seen other Richard Curtis films, I feel like a lot of people, especially our age, have seen Love Actually before seeing Four Weddings and a Funeral. Right. So, like, watching Four Weddings and a Funeral, you can kind of see, like, the beginnings of the Hugh Grant, you know, the Hugh Grant, which is yep. its own, like, noun thing now. It's just, like, that kind of performance and everything. So, you can see the beginnings of that. You can see the beginnings of Richard Curtis and how he was as a writer in the beginning of his career uh, and how he kind of grew to not be so fucking corny. But yeah. <laughs> I'd say fuck this film. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. All right. So, give me a second. <coughs> ah, that was a lot of talking. Um, so, yeah, we've been, we've been going. Uh, you can find our social medias uh, on Instagram. We are Bromancing the Stone Podcast. So, Bromancing the Stone Podcast. That's our Instagram. Twitter is Bro the Stone Pod. And then on Twitter, I am Supermarket Sweep without the E and Super. So S U P R Market Sweep. Uh, and then on Instagram, uh, my handle is Relusa88. That's R E L U S A 88. And then Matt's. On Instagram, you can find me at The Lionhearted, which is T H E period L Y O N H E A R T E D. Perfecto. And then next week. Uh, it's my choice again, even though we did alternate choices, but we decided since you chose 27 dresses to do that on the 27th. Yep. So uh, we are doing my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. So that should be a fun one. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time. Me neither. Uh, but I do remember seeing it in theaters. So. Really? Yes. All right. Well, uh, yeah, in the... Uh, Salem Cinema. Well, I'll wax poetic about Salem Cinema. Was that the uh, last time you've seen it? I think so. Maybe saw it once, like when it first came out on DVD, like maybe like one of those like like a blockbuster night, and like saw it a mm. second time, but I don't mm. quite remember. So like it, it's been since then. Alright. So yeah. But until then, for the tens and tens of listeners, 
We love y'all and we thank y'all for listening. And wish you a very good rest of the week. Love you guys.